Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So we started a few weeks ago a series of messages entitled Going Deeper. It says in Psalms 42 in verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfall. The Spirit of God is calling to you. Deep is calling to deep and saying, come deeper, come deeper. So what we've done is we've gone to Romans chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul talks about how people walk away from God. And we're putting those same steps in reverse. But here's what he says in Romans 1 in verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts or their imagination. Their imagination is working against them and their foolish hearts were darkened. So number one, they didn't glorify him as God. Number two, they weren't thankful. Number three, they came, became vain in their imaginations. Their imaginations are going wild and working against them. And then fourthly, their foolish hearts are darkened. And you put those in reverse, give it a positive slant, and literally it's how you come closer to God. If you're away from God, it's how you return to the Lord. So the first step is to glorify God. And that's what we're going to be talking about again today. The second step is be thankful. Third is recognize the power of your imagination. And literally, it's talking about how to meditate on God's word and see yourself in the word of God. And then fourthly, have a good heart. Now, we're going to, that, that's where we're going to end up. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or else make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. Now, Jesus, when he's talking about a tree, he's talking about your heart. So you can make your heart good, or you can make your heart bad. And we're going to talk eventually about the things that make a good heart, or how we can literally cause our heart, make it good, or we can make it bad. But we're, today we're talking about glorifying God. As you glorify him, you become closer to him. Right? Now, glorify means to render, to esteem, right? to value, to prize, to reverence, to exalt, right? to consider to be right. Um, and this is particularly true uh, when it comes to the word of God. Right? In, in Psalms 138, God said, I have exalted my word above all of my name. In other words, God says, uh, if I don't keep my word, he said, I won't even be God. So I want to look this morning at several people in the Bible who glorify God or esteem God, value God the way that we are supposed to. We're going to look at Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, Paul, right? Just to mention a few. But let's start with, with Abraham, the father of our faith. In Romans 4 and verse 19, he has received a promise from God that he's going to have a child 
in that he's going to become the father of a multitude. But yet he's now about 100 years old and nothing has happened. And being not weak in faith. Now, the Bible says in Romans chapter one, it says from faith to faith. So the faith that you have today is not enough to take you all the way to the finish line, all the way to God's destiny for you. Right. We need to grow in our faith. Paul writes in one of the epistles and he says, your faith grows exceedingly. Right. So we want our faith to be growing and we're going to go from faith to faith. All right. He, He wasn't weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, faith is not what this is what faith is always. It's believing and acting as if what God said to you in his word is true. That's what faith faith is not talking God into doing something. That's what a lot of people think it is. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm twisting God's arm and I'm going to get God to do something. No, faith is responding to what God has said. So God has said to Abraham, you're going to be the father of a multitude. He's a hundred years old. The Bible says he didn't consider his own body already dead. So he's a hundred roughly and, and things are not working and there's no blue pills. Got it? <laughs> But, but he doesn't look at that. That's not what he considers. In fact, he disesteems his body and he esteems God's promise. He's looking at the promise. He's not looking at the obstacles. He's not looking at the natural. His body not functioning. And Sarah, she's 90. Right? And the Bible says the deadness of Sarah's womb. So there are things that in the natural, he is disesteeming. But what he is doing, he is esteeming God's promise. And he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. What was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. The ESV translation says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, right? As he esteemed God's promise and he thanked God for his promise, right? He, the the Bible says here, he grew strong in faith, right? And again, God, because he takes you from faith to faith, there's two things. God doesn't have a plan for your life that doesn't include faith, right? And your faith needs to keep on growing in order to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. So he's disesteeming his body, he's disesteeming Sarah's womb, which is no longer functioning, right? Verse 21 says, and being fully convinced that he that had promised was also able to perform. Faith always is a response to what God has promised. He's fully convinced. He's not doubting. Remember when Jesus talked about faith in Mark chapter 11, he says, and shall not doubt in his heart. So what he does is he doesn't magnify the problems or the obstacles. He disesteems those and he considers and esteems God's 
promise. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter six and verse 12 to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. For the, so the first step in walking away from God and cooling down spiritually is don't glorify him as God. Right? Don't glorify his word. Don't esteem his word. Right? You've got to put value and worth on God. Value and worth on the things that are spiritual things, the things that, that, that the kingdom of God represents. Instead of, this is what you disesteem, people's opinions, the opinion of friends and family, experience, culture, comfort, the desires of the flesh. You disesteem all that, but you esteem what God has said. So really a battle is taking place, but it's taking place in your mind. There's a lot of talking about spiritual warfare and spiritual warfare is true. But there's a lot of things that people pass off as spiritual warfare that is not. Right? In 2 Corinthians 10 in verse 4, it says the weapons of our warfare. If you're a Christian, you're in a battle. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. So when you become a Christian, you are instantly in a battle. You're in a fight. Literally from the spiritual womb to the tomb, there's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pull down strongholds. What? Casting down imaginations, arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we minimize the things that are not a part of the kingdom of God, that take us away from the kingdom, that take us away from God's promises. Right? The Bible says this about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or disesteeming the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the shame that Jesus was going to be going through, well, he was going to be whipped. He was going to be spit on. He was going to be mocked. They were going to be literally hitting him. They were going to crucify him, put him up naked on a cross to shed his blood and die. But what did Jesus do? He disesteemed it. He disesteemed all of that because he knew where he was going. The Bible says for the joy that was set before him. In one way, we can say this. Jesus didn't come to go to the cross. He was going to a resurrection. He just had to go through the cross. Right? But he disesteemed all of those things in order to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. Now, I hear people say, but you just don't understand what I've gone through. You know, I've been abandoned. I've been lied about. I've been stolen from. I've been fired. I've lost everything. And, and you know, all of those things are what I'm, I, I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on the pain. I'm focusing on the hurt. I'm focusing on the shame. The apostle Paul said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, 
in prison more frequently, in deaths often. Five times from the Jews, I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. And again, they would take off your sandals and they would beat the bottom of your feet with rods until they broke bones. Three times. Once I was stoned, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils from false brotherness, in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and in nakedness. Besides all this, there comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches. Now, Paul had all of this stuff happen. I, I know you may have problems, but I'm telling you, they're not as bad as Paul's. And this is what Paul said. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. So what Paul is doing, he is disesteeming all the stuff that he's going through, and he is looking to his reward. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. I was sitting down with a pastor a while back, and he was complaining about all the stuff that he's going through. And I said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. He didn't think it was funny, but I did. I did. Because when you esteem what God has for you, being in his will, and the reward that's coming compared to all the trouble we've got now, it's not a big deal. You say, yeah, but I'm in a stinking marriage. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You say, yeah, but 30 years. In light of eternity, it is but for a light, but for a moment is working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Uh, Jesus in Mark chapter four, tells the parable about how the kingdom of God works. And he says, it's like a farmer who goes out and he's planting seed. And he said, that seed that he plants, it's the gospel of the kingdom. And he says, some of it lies on a path, some of it on stony ground, some of it among the thorns. And this is what Jesus said about that, the thorns in the, the 19th verse. He said, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So if we esteem the word of God, we need to esteem it above the deceitfulness of riches. By the way, riches tells you if you just had more, boy, you'd have it made. You'd be somebody. If you had more, you wouldn't hurt. If you had more, man, people would respect you. If you had more, there would be no pain in your life. You would be a success if you just had more. The deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. And literally anything can come in, anything, when it becomes esteemed over the word of God, right? it will cause God's word to become unfruitful. And notice it just says the cares of this world. How I many of you know stuff just happens? Does it not happen at your house? Stuff just happens. Stuff breaks. 
like your wife takes the tractor and runs it through the garage door. Friday, you know, stuff happens. Stuff just happens. But you know what? You can get upset about the stuff or you can go, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now we just kind of like, oh, no big deal. Praise the Lord. I love you too, babe. (laughs) It's not the end of the world. I'm telling you, 100 years from now, we won't even remember. And that's how most of this stuff is. All right. The cares of this life. But we can get all worried about it. Right. Instead of esteeming God's word. He says, I've got you. I've got you. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. Yet God takes care of them. He takes care of the sparrows. He's going to take care of you. Right. The apostle Paul, in addition, said this. He talks about all the things. He says, man, my pedigree, you know. I'm a Benjaminite. I'm of the tribe. I'm I'm that tribe of Israel. And I was under Gamaliel. I was under the greatest of the teachers, the Jewish teachers. And and I was just, I was following the law and I was doing everything right. He says, but that things that were gained to me, I count as loss for Christ. Yet doubtlessly, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them as dung. That's a nice word for bad stuff. I count them as dung that I may win Christ. He's saying all of the stuff that this world considered great, he said, I disesteem all of those. Why? Because he's pursuing first the kingdom of God, right? What did Jesus say? But seek first the kingdom of God above all other things. We disesteem everything else, but we pursue first the kingdom of God. Jesus tells the parable about a certain man who invited people to a dinner. And when the time for the dinner came, he sent them out and he's comparing this to the kingdom of God. He said, and they begin to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of ground. I've got to go and see it. Please let me be excused. Another said, I brought five yoke of oxen. I got a new car. I got to go test it. Please let me be excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. The servant came and reported these things to his master and the matter of the house was angry and said to his servant, go out quickly into the street in the, the, the lanes in the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. He said, because there's room in my house. He says, and those that were invited, he said, they're going to be on the outside. You know what people were doing? They were esteeming the things of this life greater than the things of God. And none of the things of this life are bad, but we've got to esteem the kingdom of God and God's word above all of those things. And let me just say this. Going God's way is always the best way. It's always the best way. It says this in Deuteronomy 10, 13. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Who's good? You're good. Not God's good. Not because God's an old fogey. He said, but when you will do it my way, it is for your good. In Proverbs 10, 29, it says the way of the Lord is strength to the upright. Every time we do something God's way, we esteem his way, we go God's way, it strengthens us. It's good for us. It blesses us, right? And the exact opposite is true when we don't esteem God's way as the best way. So 
In Hebrews 3, verse 13, it says, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You're hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, what is the deceitfulness of sin? Well, this is, this is it. Let me say before I tell you about the deceitfulness of sin. When you sin, God does not love you less. God does not love you less when you sin. But you will love God less. You will love God less because it turns your heart. Right? So what the deceitfulness of sin does is this. It says, I can sin and it will not affect me. I will be just the same afterwards as I was before. But that's not true. It's not true because sin affects your heart, right? It turns your heart away from from God. And the other thing is you become weaker, right? Every time that you, you submit to sin, it becomes easier the next time and easier and easier and easier. So it's not that sin affects the way God loves you, but it does affect you spiritually. It turns your heart. Your heart becomes hardened, right? Now, another example of this is in Hebrews chapter 11. It's talking about Moses. Now, Moses is born to a Jewish family, but they're slaves in Egypt. And the the Pharaoh has commanded that all male children are to be thrown into the Nile River. So his family makes a little basket and puts it in the river and puts Moses in the basket, but they put it where they know the Pharaoh's daughter is going to come to go swimming. So she sees the basket. They bring it to her. Little Moses starts crying. And like every woman, she goes, oh, look at how beautiful. Look at how cute. He's such a cute baby. Most babies aren't all that cute, you know. But <laughs> ladies think they are. And so she adopts him as her son. But he knows that really... He's a Hebrew. He's Jewish, but he's brought up in Moses' house. So the Bible says, by faith, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to his reward. So he said, hey, I can go with God's people and there's going to be suffering. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be persecution. I'm going to be misunderstood. I can go with that. Or I can stay right here in Pharaoh's family. I'm going to be part of the royal family. I've got wealth beyond anybody's imagination. I've got position. I've got influence. I've got fame. I've got all of that. But the Bible says he disesteemed all that. And he esteemed the reproach of Christ to be greater riches. You say, why did he do that? Because he looked to his reward. The Bible says he looked to his reward. He knew that what was happening down here was our light affliction, which is but for a moment in comparison to eternity. Right? So he disesteemed what Egypt had to offer. And he esteemed with the gospel, what God had to offer. Here's another example. And I'll close with this. 
This is King David, right? And this is, comes from Psalms 119. Most scholars believe that King David wrote that. There's a, a few that think it might be Ezra or even possibly Daniel. But the vast majority believe that David wrote this. He said, the law of your mouth, your word, is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. The law of your mouth, your word, is better to me. I esteem more highly your word than thousands of coins of gold and silver. This, uh, this past week, I, I was sitting down with uh, David Tumusimi, who, who leads worship, and, and uh, Daniel Cavazos. And we were sitting having a re- at a restaurant, and uh, I believe it was Daniel who said to me, he said, uh, we, we're talking church stuff, and, and he says, you know, there's this certain pastor who's teaching that tithing is not for today. He says, uh, what do you think about that? And I said, well, first of all, I would disagree with that because tithing was before the law, it was during the law, and it was after the law. But I says, it really doesn't matter, right? And here's why it doesn't matter. When, when you understand the purpose of prosperity, right? Why God provides for you. When you understand the purpose, tithing becomes a total non-issue, all right? Now, 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and you'd be in health even as your soul prospers. So God wants you to prosper in your marriage, in your relationships, in your emotions, in your body, spiritually, financially. God wants you to prosper in every way. Now, by the way, to prosper means you've got enough. Means you've got enough plus. Plus. Listen to this. This is the, this is the, as the Bible talks about finances and prosperity. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. God's able to make it up to you by giving you everything that you need and more. All right? So somebody says, I can't afford it. I would say to you, God's able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more. So that there'll not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to joyfully give to others. Right? You see, the purpose, God doesn't just bless you so you can be blessed. He blesses you so you can be a blessing. Different translation says it like this. God can give you more blessing than you need. And you will always have plenty of everything. And you'll have enough to give to every good work. Verse 10. For God who gives seed to the farmer to plant later on good crops to harvest and eat will give you more and more seed to plant and will make it grow so you can give away. Everybody say give away. More and more fruit from your harvest. See, God wants you blessed, but he just doesn't want you blessed so you can be a fat cat. He wants you blessed so you can be a blessing. As he blesses you, he says, what does he want you to do? He says, so you can give away more and more. Now, you say, what about the tithe? That's where you start. That's where you start. But praise God, that's not where we're ending. Because God's going to bless us so we can give away more and more. Right? If your heart is not just so I can get, it's so I can be a blessing. Message Bible says he gives you something so you can then give away. Right? He gives you something so you can then give away. 
Now, Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. This is where it all comes back to. Right? You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. The word power there means the ability, right? the ingenuity, the ideas, the favor, right? the understanding to get wealth. Why? That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as it is this day. Let me remind you, if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Genesis chapter 12, God talks to Abraham and says, I will bless you. Your name will be great. You will be a blessing. I will bless you and you will what? Be a blessing, right? God says, I'm going to bless you to establish the covenant. The covenant is that you're going to be blessed and you will be a. He gives you more and more so you can give away more and more, right? So we can say it like this. Every time that something comes into your hand, there's part of that's for you, right? But there's part of that that's not for you. There's part of that you're supposed to sow, right? When something comes into our hand, literally the first thing we should be thinking is, wow, I can give. I can give. I, I love what it says. The Apostle Paul is talking, this is in Ephesians. He says, let him that stole steal no longer. Rather, let him labor working with his hands that he may have to give. He may have to what? Give. The first thing God thinks about is you need to have something to, to give. So every time something comes into your hand, parts for you, parts not. Um, Proverbs 11, verse 24. One man gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give. Did you get that? Another withholds or keeps what he should give. See, every time something comes into my hand, there's a part of it that's for me. But there's a part of it that's not for me. There's a part of it I should give. Because God blesses me with more so I can give more and more and more. Right? And the mistake is to think it's all for me. But it's not all for you. There is one who gives freely, yet grows all the richer. There's another who withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Only suffers want. Now, getting back to, to Malachi, the tithing thing, Malachi 3.10. says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Prove me, test me in this. It's the only time God ever says test him. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. All right? I've been saved for 49 years. Right? I've been a giver, a tither plus, for 49 years. And this is what I know. I know that God's blessing on what's left over always goes farther than 100% could have ever gone. He says, you prove me now in this. 
and see if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. See, 90% with God's blessing is greater than 100%. Always, every time, every time. So what David said, he said, I esteem your word more than thousands of coins of silver and gold. He said, God, my pursuit is not stuff, right? My pursuit is you, right? Now, the Bible, way back in Genesis chapter 5, talks about Enoch, and it says that Enoch walked with God. Do you know that literally should be where every one of us have got our, our sights set? to walk with God, to walk with God. And when we walk in with God, we esteem his word, we esteem his kingdom, more than thousands of coins, silver or gold, more than all the stuff. What did, what did Moses look at? He looked at influence. He looked at wealth. He looked at position. He looked at fame. And the Bible says he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than everything that Egypt had to offer, right? And when we esteem God, we glorify God, we begin to draw near unto God, right? The Bible says, draw near unto him, and he will draw near unto you, right? The way that we go deeper into the things of God is by esteeming the kingdom of God and esteeming his word above every other thing in this life. All right. You know what? Almost thought I had a Presbyterian church here today. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That's good. All right. Let's bow our heads just a moment. Father, I pray that the word that's been sown into our hearts today, that it'll bring forth fruit in each and every one of our lives, that we will esteem your word, esteem your kingdom and seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness above everything else. Um, If you came with somebody today and if you're comfortable, would, would you just reach over and take their hand? If you're online and you can do the same, that'd be wonderful. Again, in a group this size, there's people in every kind of spiritual condition. There's people that that you've lived for God for decades. There's people that you're here, you've drifted away from their Lord. There's other people, you have no idea where you stand with God. Uh, I I, I have talked with people and said this. I said, are you a Christian? And this is their answer. I'm trying to be. I hope I am. Uh, You know, I hope when I die, I go to heaven. The Bible says we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life, that you have. Not I hope, but you have. You see, you need to know you're forgiven, you're right with God, you're on your way to heaven, you're putting first the kingdom of God. You need to know that. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. So if you don't know that you're right with God today or you know you're away from the Lord, we're going to pray a prayer. The Bible says this in Romans 10, verse 13, whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. It says, we'll be saved. You see, if if you will pray this prayer from your heart, 
when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. An angel came to a man named Cornelius, and this is what he said. He will tell you words by which you and your house will be saved. You see, we're not saved by, the, by, by doing good works. We're saved by believing what Jesus has done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. So I challenge you right now to pray this prayer from your heart. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. And I'm going to live for him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That I'm forgiven. That I'm a part of your kingdom. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.